your Bibles this morning, if you would go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, go ahead and find your place there. Uh, this morning we are ending our series on Emoji Masquerade. It is the last message of the series. And to be honest, it's kind of a heavy and, uh, and deeply personal uh, topic that we're going to talk about this morning. In fact, most of the topics that we've talked about, most of the things that we've discussed in this series are things that we've wanted to try to avoid, right? So we talked about bitterness last week, and this is definitely something that in the Christian life, it's something that we are trying to avoid, something we're trying to stay away from. Shame and guilt, these are things that we are trying to avoid, right? We talked about pride a few weeks ago, same thing. We're trying to avoid pride in our lives. Not only are we trying to avoid it, it should be avoided. But this thing that we're talking about this morning, to be quite honest, cannot be avoided. It cannot be avoided. That every single one of us in this room more than likely will go through this. This morning we're talking about grief. And I can't think of a, a better way to kind of end this series than talking about something that that's really feels very final. Something that feels final in us is, is this idea of grief. And I want to give you this definition on the screen. This is from the dictionary that grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a normal or familiar pattern of life. That's the dictionary definition of grief. And, and I'll be honest, I cannot think of a definition that feels more impersonal and more further from what people actually go through than this definition right here. Because if we've ever been through grief, we know it, it's a lot more personal, it's a lot more hard-hitting than just this simple definition. So I would like to start this morning in your introduction by giving you a different definition. A definition I feel that is probably more, more right in the way that it truly feels when we go through grief. Our introduction is this, grief is born out of your worst nightmares coming true. Grief is born out of your worst nightmares coming true. I've talked to several people over the last several months about this issue, about this, this topic this morning, and every one of them says the same thing. It's basically the thing that you fear the most happening and you having to deal with what's happening to you. Your worst nightmare coming true. And so this morning, as we talk about this, there's, grief is such a broad context. I really want us to kind of focus in on probably the most common grief and one of the hardest griefs that we will face in this life. I want to talk about this through the context of death. And that's a serious conversation that we're going to have this morning. The other thing that we know about grief is that it almost touches, it touches almost every single person. That unless you die prematurely, the longer you live in this life, the more grief you're going to experience. C.S. Lewis, I've been reading a, a book that he wrote basically right after his wife passed away. It was a journal that he wrote days after his wife passed away prematurely. And in the book, he talks about this idea. This is a very morbid thought and kind of a downer, but it, it's a good thought. It's this thought that all relationships here on earth will end in pain. Now think about that for just a minute. Every relationship here on earth will end in pain. So whether it be from a falling out between you and a friend, whether it be from you moving to a different location and the pain of, of moving away, or even the best case scenario, right? You're, you have a wife, your best friend, or a husband, your best friend of 50 plus years. There's going to come a day where there's going to be pain in that relationship because one will go before another. In fact, unless Christ returns, almost every single one of us are going to experience grief. And grief is, is a complex thing. It is a complex thing. C.S. Lewis said in that book that grief is like a long, winding valley where any bend may reveal a totally new landscape. What he's saying here is that grief is not just some simple emotion. That many people who've experienced grief, many times they'll also experience fear and loneliness, guilt, shame, anger, embarrassment, jealousy, and depression. That grief is so complex, you never just tell a person dealing with grief, just get over it. 
Because grief is not something that we just get over. And so this morning, I want to I talk about this grind of grief. And I can't think of a better word for this process than it's a grind. It is a grueling process that almost every single one of us in this room either has went through or will go through before the end of our life. And it all starts with this, this word and this phrase that we call normal life, right? Normal life. And normal life is basically, it's, it's an equation here. If we want to really just break down what normal life is, you can break it down into two phrases. Normal life is protecting our routines and striving for the ideal. That everything within our normal life is protecting our routines and striving for the ideal. We love our routines, right? I mean, we all love the routines in our life. We might not say we do, but for most of us, we, we enjoy that. I, I have routines, right? I get up in the morning and I actually enjoy the drive to work. I enjoy sitting down with a cup of coffee, you know? That's just a routine thing. I enjoy getting home and, and hugging the kids and playing with them and hugging my wife and talking to her about my day. These are routines that are established. There's all kinds of routines that we have throughout the week. And the truth is the reason I know we like our routines is because when our routines get broken up, that's when the problems come in, right? I mean, I remember just a few weeks ago, get, go walking out to the mailbox and getting the mail out of the mailbox, and I had my Spectrum Time Warner, I, I don't know what they're called, but the, the cable bill, right? You know, the cable bill comes in, and something had changed in the cable bill. The, the, the year, you guys know how this works, the year uh, entry fee, you know, like the, the bonus fee that they come in and then after a year, your prices like double. Well, I went through that, right? And my routine of what I was paying them all of a sudden changed. Or imagine you're on your way home today from church and you're kind of going a little fast and all of a sudden the police officer pulls in behind you with the lights, What's about to happen? Your routine is changed. Not only has your routine changed that afternoon, but you have a routine now of paying some money, right? We hate routines when they change. We don't like how that works. We like our routines the way they are. And so most of our normal life is this idea of protecting our routines, protecting the things that we really truly care about, that, we ha that happens every week. The other part about normal life is this idea of striving for the ideal, that every one of us in here has, has things that we strive for, that we look forward to, that we consider ideal. So for some of you right now, you're striving for the ideal vacation. You're waiting for the summer. You can't wait till the kids get out of school and you're thinking, oh, when it heats up, when the summer comes, we've been putting money away for this. We've got our, our plane ticket or we've got our hotel booked and we're gonna be headed to the ideal vacation. For some of you, you're right on the cusp of retirement and you are striving for the ideal retirement package. You're waiting for that day to come. But for most of us, really the ideal for the everyday week is the weekend, right? We are always striving, Monday through Thursday, we're striving for this ideal weekend that we think is coming. In fact, for some of us, Monday's a struggle and we're already on Monday thinking about Friday. This is what life for many people is. It's this protecting our routine Monday through Thursday and striving for that weekend, striving for these things. And for most people, that's the way they live their life. They live their life in this normal life world. And there are ups and downs to that. But what we're talking about this morning is a divergence in the normal life. We're talking about something that comes into our normal life and seriously does damage to our routine and to what we're striving for in the ideal. And we call this word tragedy. This word tragedy is something that we all have faced in our lifetime. And we know what this looks like. This is not something that we really have to define in, in big terms, but we know what this looks like. It's, it's you being at the doctor's office with your spouse and the doctor coming in and saying to your spouse, it's malignant. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, the way you see time, the way you see life, it goes from units of measurement from years to weeks. 
or the police officers come and they knock on your door and they begin to tell you about the, the accident that your son has just been involved in. Or you're sitting at home and, and hospice finally comes in to help transition your loved one. We know what tragedy looks like. We don't really have to think much about that because the truth is we see it everywhere. We see it on our social media. We see it in our lives. We see it here at church. It is, it is something that we are all dealing with and it's, it's tragic. But I want you to think for just a minute of what tragedy really is. Tragedy can really be boiled down into one idea and one truth. And I think it's here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, you think about Paul, the writer of 2 Corinthians. This is, this is a man that's no stranger to tragedy. He knew all about tragedy. He knew all about suffering, all about pain. And he says this verse, and he says this, this phrase or this sentence in verse 7 that really sticks out. And I want us to take a minute to look at this. It's a really short phrase, but just look at this with me in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Another word for earthen vessels is jars of clay. Now, this little phrase here has a lot of information in it, okay? In fact, he talks about this treasure. This treasure he's talking about are the, is in the verses preceding that, verses 1 through 6. But the treasure that's being referred to here is that this holy, immortal God that created the universe, who dwells in inapproachable light, now dwells right here. That's what he's saying in this verse. He's saying this treasure, this God of the universe is now dwelling in this, this human body. Think about that for just a minute. The most priceless entity in the universe, God, dwells in one of the weakest and temporal things here on earth. And it doesn't take us much to figure that out. We can look around and see that. That almost every star in the, wor in the universe is older than we are. That there are trees that have been around for like 1,500 years. This one will really blow your mind. For some of you, you are living in a house that's technically older than you are and that will probably outlive you. That we as human beings, we are fragile people. We are temporal people here on earth. And that every time a tragedy comes in, tragedy reveals our mortality. That we are this, this temporal container. And Paul tells us why we are a temporal, temporal container. He tells us right here at the second part of verse 7. He says that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. What The reason God does it this way is he wants to get the credit, that he's looking at this and he's saying, hey, the work of God isn't based on man's strength or longevity, it's based on God's power. And so he decides to dwell in us as temporal people. And I'll just be honest, this is an odd place to start a message on grief, but it's necessary for us to remember this because we are temporal people. We are not made for this life now. And tragedy reveals that, that every death that we see come into our life, every death of a loved one that we see, it's this clear reminder that our normal life is literally just teetering right there. That tragedy reveals our mortality and from our tragedy comes grief. Grief is the natural reaction to tragedy. It is the natural reaction and honestly, those of you that have been there, you know this. It is quite painful. Paul, who is no stranger to grief and pain, look at verses 8 through 11. I just want us to point out, just, just kind of skim with me through this. We're going to come back to this, okay? So I'm not taking out of context here. But I want you to focus on all the pain that's listed in this passage. We are hard-pressed on every side. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. For we who live are always delivered to death. Just listen to all that pain there. Now, we're coming back to this verse, okay? But focus on what is true about pain in this passage. That these are real tragedies that has befallen Paul. But it's not just Paul that's talking here. He's saying this idea of we. It's this idea that every believer in this room is going to experience 
tragedy. They were going to experience things like this. This is ultimately what's in the life of a believer. And for all of us in this room, we know of someone that has went through extreme tragedy, extreme grief, and maybe you're sitting in this room today and you're that person. You're that person sitting there in grief and struggling. And and I'll just be honest, when we got together a few weeks ago to talk about this issue, I, I really... I really struggled with presenting the message. And I'll I'll tell you why. I've only been a part of three funerals in my lifetime that I've had a chance to speak at. I've not went through some of the grief that many of you have went into going through. And so this morning, I wanted to kind of change the scene a little bit with what we're doing. I I set up these two uh, bistro stools and this table because I really want us to not only hear from God's word this morning and what it says, I want us to hear from experience. I want us to hear from, from someone in our church that has went through grief. So we have a guest Uh, this morning, and this is a man who has went through, uh, he's definitely no stranger to tragedy, he's no stranger to grief and and suffering, and several weeks ago, we had planned out to have this morning together, and his health has not been good, and so what we did is we decided we were going to video him at his home and just have the interview there at his home instead. And so this is really hard, guys, because I really wanted him here this morning and he wanted to be here. But I really want us focusing in on this interview this morning. And I want you to kind of just visualize that he's here with us this morning. So please, let's pay attention together and let's see what God wants to show us through here and from this man of God. Well, this, uh, this morning we are uh, taking some time to talk about grief, and we are at Pastor Jeff Brendel's home. Um, Pastor Jeff couldn't be with us uh, there at the church uh, because of some health issues going on, but he's agreed to, to help me this morning and uh, just talk a little bit about grief. And honestly, I can't think of a, a better place to be right now than at his home. Uh, right here behind me, uh, there's sheep out in the field. And I love that because I think about Pastor Jeff. I think about a man who has served God his entire life, has been a pastor uh, for many years in different churches. And uh, really, that's, that's what Pastor Jeff is. He is a shepherd. And uh, so we're here this morning talking to Pastor Jeff about grief. Uh, I couldn't think of someone better to talk to this morning than you, Pastor Jeff Brendel, someone who has um, been a pastor to so many and shepherd so many souls uh, for the kingdom of God. And uh, I just thought this morning, I know that a lot of people in our church know you. Uh, You're a connect leader in our our church body at Pleasant City. But um, for those that may not know who you are, I didn't know if you wouldn't mind just maybe sharing uh, a little bit about who you are personally. Well, I moved here to Cleveland County uh, in 1985. I'd been a pastor for five years down at a church in Burlington, North Carolina. Before that, I'd been a contractor and a whole lot of other things. But uh, I was pastor at Elizabeth for 13 years. Pastor, we are talking about grief this morning, and um, just knowing personally your story and knowing what you've experienced in uh, the last two or three decades of your life. I didn't know this morning if you would maybe just share uh, with Pleasant City what what you've experienced. You know, uh, I, I know uh, Miss Jane. Miss Jane was your wife for many years. And I just didn't know if maybe this morning you would share a little bit about uh, Miss Jane's story and your story along with that. Well, uh, Jane and I were married for 35 years, and like I said, she uh, uh, she and I had both of our girls, Quinn and Paige. And uh, about, uh, I guess I'd been retired about three or four years. And uh, we found out Jane had cancer. And uh, we were told she had cancer in April. And in August, she left. And uh, it was a short period of time. But I remember 
we always expected that I'd be the one to go because I'd had all the health issues. Yeah. A lot of folks know about all that. But uh, it was kind of a shock that it was Jane. And I remember driving out of the driveway as uh, not too awful long after she was diagnosed. And I remember praying, Lord, Jane doesn't know a thing in the world about being sick. She's always said, it, you know, she couldn't go through chemo and all that stuff. So, Lord, if you're going to heal her, heal her quickly. Hmm. If you're going to have her, take her to heaven to heal her, please don't let it drag out and have her suffer. Hmm. And uh, so I've always felt like that, that the Lord's taken her as quickly as he did was, uh, was his blessing. Hmm because he knew Jane far better than I did. And uh, in a way, Jonathan, it probably shortened the tragedy, hmm. the, the, the instant of, of, you know, the experience of her death and dying. But um, there was still left the, the grieving to be done after she was gone. And... Uh, I remember thinking it was kind of strange that I never felt lonely, but I did feel profoundly alone. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure I can give you definitions of the two, but in my mind, there was a difference. Uh, I know this is a question a lot of people wonder, you know, if, I, I don't know if I could ever bear the loss of a spouse. You know, I don't know, I don't know what I would do, you know. How, how did you... How did you feel about that? I mean, I know that that uh, that there's times where God gives us just this supernatural grace and supernatural understanding, but was there ever a point in that where there was frustration that this was happening? I mean, we know that God is sovereign, right? God is in control of all things, including Miss Jane's health. Um, was there ever a point in that in that that process of of watching her? Um, deteriorate that you were frustrated with God? Oh yeah. You, you can't help but experience all the stages of grief. They don't necessarily come in order or one lasts all the same length as another. Uh, <clears throat> frustration is a good word. Yes, because Jane had prayed so for healing had asked our elders, our deacons, to come with Pastor Brian and anoint her with oil and pray for her. And, uh, and nobody wanted to live any more than she did. Yeah. She wanted to stay, and we had one grandchild, and she wanted to stay and see the rest of them, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, there were times I've, I'm sure I felt angry, more angry at circumstances turning out the way they had for her. But, but yes, uh, the sorrow was deep, frustration, anger. Um, uh, felt like she was cheated out of some things here. Mm. And then I tried to remind myself, but, oh, she is so more blessed where she is now. Mm. And uh, I learned that the, the little Bible verse from Paul, that his grace is sufficient, is not a cliché. Mm. It's real. It's Amen. true. His grace is sufficient. Amen. It was for me. Amen. You know, Pastor Jeff, we I was here the other day, and we were talking about um, just how how grief is a complex a complex thing. It's not just something that that comes once and you just get over it. You know, it's not a get over it kind of thing. Um, that many times, even even in the midst of one struggle. There may be a season of blessing, a season of peace, a season of um, what most people would call normal, and then for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, another tragedy comes. I mean, that a lot of times it's the nature of life, right, is, is a tragedy here, and then down the road another tragedy comes. And It's called living in a fallen world. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And so... As we think about that, I, I, I remember uh, Miss Brenda, and remember when uh, Miss Brenda came into your life. Uh, will you talk a little bit about maybe how you met Miss Brenda and 
um, how that came about? Well, Brenda and I knew each other all our lives. We were born in the same little village of Drexel, uh, 19 days apart, uh, in the same hospital, grew up in the same church, same school, uh, enrolled in the cradle roll at the same about the same time and graduated from high school at the same time. We were we were good friends. There's a bunch of us. You know how it is in high school. You have a group that it's not really a clique, but yeah. there were a group of us who were serious about our schoolwork. We wanted to go to college and and we were both in that group, so we were good friends. And then after we graduated from college, uh, we never saw each other but maybe a few times for forty years. It turned out that, that Brenda uh, became a very special person the Lord used in a special way, not only as my wife, but as a partner in grief. Mm. Uh, she knew that uh, I had lost Jane, when, and I knew that she was going through a difficult circumstance in her life or circumstances that were causing grief, the loss of her parents' health, and she had to leave a job in Charlotte for nearly 30 years that she loved to come back and help take care of her parents. And so she was grieving too in a lot of ways. <clears throat> and uh, so I happened to go to Drexel a few months after Jane had died to go to church with Mother in her home church. She was still living in Drexel at the time. And I saw Brenda across the aisle. And uh, so before we all left, Brenda and I had a chance to speak. And I asked her uh, if she was going to the class reunion, 40th class reunion they were going to be having. And she said, uh, I hadn't planned on it. Are you? And I said, no, I hadn't planned on it either, really. But anyway, after a little bit, we decided, uh, several weeks, in fact, that we'd just go together. <laughs> How convenient. Yeah, it worked out <laughs> real good. And so uh, during the course of that, uh, that day and evening, uh, we were sharing a lot about what was going on in our lives, just catching up, really. And we decided to become prayer partners because Chris, Brenda was a... a, a dedicated Christian in a, a deep faith. And uh, so we did. But the Lord had other plans other than being just prayer partners. So uh, a little over a year after Jane died, Brenda and I were married. And uh, it was because of our common background, our shared values, our shared faith, the age we were, We'd gotten past the point where uh, arguing over little things was, we both knew just wasn't worth the energy of the effort. And so our marriage was about as effortless as anything, you, any relationship I've ever been involved in. Yeah. And so uh, both of us knowing each other's history like we did, we were able to talk about anything hmm. and including our grief. Yeah. And it's so important when you're going through grief to have somebody to talk to. Yeah. Somebody to just listen. They can't tell you what to do because we all process grief differently. Yeah. Um, they can't tell you how you ought to feel. We both knew that. But it didn't threaten her one bit for me to talk about Jane. And it didn't bother me for her to talk about the relationships in the past in her life. So we were able to be to each other ministers mm. of God's grace yeah. and his comfort as we talked about the grief. And then, so we were married for 11 years, mm. 11 years. But the, the, there were hard times mm. toward the end when uh, Brenda found out, or we found out, that she had a very rare brain disease. Now, we didn't know what it was up until just about two months before she died. Mm. But we knew that something was going on because she had trouble remembering and she'd always been 
had a real sharp mind and amazing memory. And she began to realize something wasn't right. So uh, we began to seek medical help. And it wasn't until uh, probably in uh, uh, July or August that we found out that she had this disease. And again, I see it as God's mercy. Hmm. By uh, the middle of September, she was gone. Hmm. Uh, she, she went through a period, like Jane did, when she began to lose motor skills, her memory, her ability to uh, verbalize herself. We saw that decline. We saw it together. Hmm. But in both cases... By the time it got to the point where it was terrifying, neither of them really were that aware of it. Mm. So they were pretty much at peace. Mm. And neither of them had to do any hard, painful suffering. And I was so grateful for that, for Jane and then for Brenda. After she passed, did it, did it feel like grief piled up on more grief or I mean I can't imagine going through that what what were you what were you experiencing in those weeks after Miss Brenda passed away well the two relationships were so unique so different um, that the grief was different hmm. it was it was not like multiplied grief it was more like two different grief events. I never felt like that life was just piling on me. Grief was piling on me. Um, but again, I felt so very alone. But I can't stress enough the importance of, of, of companionship and of having someone to talk to, yeah. who knows how to listen, and who has experienced the same sort of things themselves. Um, most of the folks who are watching here know that I have a very dear friend by the name of Norma Blanton. Norma and I were able to share and to talk about our grief. And burdens shared are always burdens lightened. I may have already said that. Yeah. But it's particularly true with grief. She didn't try to tell me I shouldn't feel this way, nor I tell her that she was feeling the wrong way. Grief is just grief. You feel what you feel. Yeah. And you have to just own it. Yeah. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just is. And so we both understood that and our being able to share uh, the grief of... Uh, that we were both experiencing was a real comfort to both of us and uh, and still is because uh, I guess there'll always be times when a day comes along and it just hits you yeah and it's just like you can't believe your loved one's gone yeah they're supposed to be here mm. but they're not yeah and you find yourself wanting to talk to them wishing you could say this that or the other and you realize <clears> that unless the Lord is providing some way yeah. that we don't know about <laughs> for us to talk to those in heaven, it, you know, that's not possible. Yeah. So having someone to talk to is, is so very important. Hmm. Pastor, you know, we talk about, we're going to talk this morning about grief and how it, it always leads one of two places. It, e it either leads to a place of despair or to a place of hope. And you've found this place of hope in the midst of all this grief. You've, you've come out on the other side of all of this. And it's not that you've gotten over the tragedy, you know. God, it's not like you've forgotten about uh, these people that meant so much to you in your life. But it's more that you were, you're on this path of hope. This, this destination of hope. And I just want to ask if, if you would like to share just... How, how do we do that? How do we how do we put ourselves on a path of hope rather than a path of despair when it comes to our grief? 
You know, Jonathan, this may make some people who are watching a bit angry when I say this, but uh, it's really a matter of choice. And what I'm going to say, really, I don't know how it would apply to a non-believer, somebody that doesn't know the Lord. But for the believer, <clears throat> each day, sometimes many times a day, we decide if we're going to choose to dwell on the morbid side of death and grief and consequently despair, mm. or if we're going to choose to focus ourselves and to concentrate our minds on the grace and the hope and the love of God. Mm. And if, if we focus on Him, then the hope comes because He is our hope. Yeah, amen. That's that's the reason I, I've I've told people, pray that I can have an aware of God's presence, mm. because as long as I have His presence, it's and I'm aware of His presence. I know I have His presence, but awareness of His presence that I don't get distracted by my grief or other things in life, mm. but but I'm aware of His presence. Then it's easier to focus on Him, yeah. and there's our hope. There's our hope, Amen. but it's a choice. I mean. You'd like to think that as Christians we mature to the point that we just automatically always think about Jesus or always think about God. But the truth is, it's like Paul says, we're still in these robes of flesh. We're still tempted, and we have to make a choice constantly to choose right or wrong, to, sin, to choose sin or righteousness. And we have to choose whether or not we're going to despair or we're going to hope. And, what, and it depends on what we focus our minds and our thoughts and our hearts on. Yeah, amen. Well, Pastor Jeff, I just want to say thank you so much for, for letting us come into your home today and, and talk to you. I know the original thought was we wanted you there with us at Pleasant City, but you're still getting better. And uh, we're thankful that you are getting better and hope to see you back, uh, back at Pleasant City soon. Thank so you, thank you, Pastor. You're thank so you for welcome. being a part today. Did you notice the process that Pastor Jeff went through? This idea of what, what is considered normal life, then tragedy, then grief. And what I love about what Pastor Jeff was talking about in the case of both wives that he had is this idea that when you get to grief, it's never the final destination. That when we get to grief, it's never the final destination. That there is always a choice that follows. And it's not just a one-time choice of saying, all right, I'm going to choose this one time and I'm going to be set forever. No, he even said this in the video that many times it's a daily choice. That even in the midst of intense grief, it could be an hourly choice. A choice to choose whether we're going to despair or whether we're going to hope. And many people choose this path of despair. Well, they choose this path of despair because it's the natural tendency that we always want to go down. That left to ourselves, we are always going to choose this natural tendency to despair. And you can see why. I mean, even Paul talks about this. Remember those words he says in verse 8? That he's hard-pressed on every side. He's perplexed. He's persecuted. He's struck down. That in the midst of hearing this kind of pain, it makes sense why people naturally choose that. Why we naturally choose to despair. And reading this passage, and even hearing Pastor Jeff, I think about this a lot in my own life. And maybe you're sitting there thinking this as well. What would I do in that situation? What would I do with that kind of tragedy in my life. I can tell you what you would do. Left to your own natural tendency, we would despair. That is our natural tendency. And despair always leads us to these questions. It always leaves us questioning these two things. The first thing is, we question a lot of times, is God real? I mean, can God really be real if this is really happening in our lives? And many people, this is where they break fellowship with the church. This is where they break fellowship really with God because they get to a place where they've allowed tragedy to come into their lives and they've got these, this, this, these despairing thoughts and these despairing questions of asking the question, is God even real? And for others, it's the question, is God good? 
That for some, maybe even sitting in this room this morning, you're a believer and you know that God is real. You know that God created this and created us. And, and your question's not the question of, is God real? But for some of you, maybe the question is, man, is God really good to allow this to come into my life? And guys, I, I want to just say this. You know, God is not intimidated by our questions. God isn't thrown off when we ask a question. And so I'm not talking about necessarily that. I'm not even talking about the fact that for many people who've went through grief, this question's popped in your mind. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, a person that is in this place, this destination of despair. That the result of a person that's dealing with grief through despair is this idea of stumbling in sorrow. And we've seen people like this. And maybe you're, maybe you're this person this morning that, that, that you just cannot, you cannot recover. You find yourself just stumbling in your sorrow, stumbling in the tragedy that has beset you. And God wants to do something in your life. He wants to change your destination. He wants to put you on a different path this morning. You don't have to choose despair. You can choose hope. And everything changes in the midst of our grief when we choose hope. Instead of a natural tendency to despair, when we choose hope, we have a supernatural focus. A supernatural focus. It's not that our tragedy disappears. It's not that our grief disappears. But we can say, as Paul said in verses 8 through 11, listen to how he phrases this. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. That many folks that go through grief, they feel that way. They feel like everything is closing in on them. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed. We don't understand why this is happening. But we are not in despair. We feel persecuted. We feel alone. We feel like we're the only people going through this and that every comment feels like a jab to us. We feel persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down. This has really taken a toll on us, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying about in this temporal body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in us. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You see, when we hope, our focus shifts. It's no longer focused on the tragedy. It's no longer focused on the pain. It's focused on what God is doing through the pain and through the tragedy. And people see Christ in our hope and it causes them to hope. We just saw that happen. We watch a man who's chosen this path of hope and we ourselves are feeling hopeful. Because we see how other people have dealt with their grief and chosen the path of hope. And all the while, in our hope, we are, verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. This is what hope proclaims. Hope doesn't question. Hope proclaims that God is using sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. He is using our tragedy. He is using our sorrow to do something surprisingly triumphant in our lives. That we are proclaiming God's goodness in our lives. That he is using all these things, including our grief and tragedy, for something amazing. Guys, I don't, I don't know how burying a child brings God glory. I don't understand that. I don't understand how burying two wives prematurely brings God glory. I, I, I'm perplexed by that. But just as Paul said, I may be perplexed by that, but I'm not in despair because I am proclaiming, just as Jeff, Pastor Jeff is, just as many people who have chosen hope is, we are proclaiming that God is going to use our sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph in our life. And our hope is found not in this life now, but in what's to come. And the result of someone walking in hope is some, someone choosing hope is walking in healing. That day by day, we are being healed. That we never forget and we never get over what's happened to us. But we are day by day being healed. 
And so when you look at the application, to kind of close this up, I want you, I have these two phrases I want you to just think about this morning. When we experience grief, we realize that this thing we call normal life is a temporal illusion. We focus so much of our energy into what is normal, right? Protecting our routines and striving for the ideal. But grief has a way of revealing what's really important. That all this work and effort that we place in these things, that it's really just an illusion. That this is not the life that God has created us for. And the more we embrace the normal life, the harder grief hits and the easier it is for us to despair. But when we choose hope in the midst of our grief, we realize that the afterlife, not the normal life, we realize that the afterlife, the life to come is an eternal reality. It's not a temporal illusion. It is an eternal reality. And Paul sums this verse up, or sums up this idea in verses 16. Therefore, because of all this, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's Paul walking in healing right there. For our light affliction. That phrase gets me every time. Because anyone going through grief will tell you, Nothing about their affliction feels light in that moment. It almost sounds almost a little insensitive to even say that. For our light affliction, Paul, how can my affliction be light? Even when you read what happened with Paul and the believers of the New Testament, you're sitting there thinking, how is that light? How is that something small? He tells us why right here. For our light affliction, affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What Paul is saying here is that when it comes to our grief, rather than looking at what's happening right now, look at what's happening 10,000 years from now. What was, what's going to matter 10,000 years from now? That everything in our life, everything that we can think of, every sorrow, every pain, every tragedy in the believer's life, that if we can just fixate not on what's going on right now in this moment, but if we can fixate on what's going to happen 10,000 years from now when we're in eternity with Jesus Christ and he is our king and he is there and we are there in perfect union with him. The things of this life, the things that, that feel so heavy and so hard for us right now in this moment are gonna feel, they don't feel it right now, but they're going to feel light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory 10,000 years from now. And this is what God is saying to us this morning, that there is something unseen at work. There's something unseen at work. And when we choose hope, we are no longer focused on the casket or the cancer or any other tragedy. Instead, we're focused on the unseen. We're focused on eternity. And so with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I, just, I want us to think for just a minute about this. Because some of you in this room I'm, I'm praying that this message will just kind of get logged away in your mind. Because for some of you in this room, and, and, and I'll be honest, I, I'm there too. I, I haven't really experienced a lot of major tragedy in my life. And so for some of you in this room, you're, you're sitting there, and, and honestly, I'm just praying that God will log this, this idea, this thought, this message, these verses. I'm just praying God will log it into the back of your mind for when grief does come, for when tragedy does come. But there's some of you in this room that, that truly, man, when you're hearing this, you feel that. Maybe you're on the other side of it. Maybe, maybe you've chosen hope and you are in a great place. You're walking in healing and, and, and you are amening this because you are on that side. You have seen God's hand at work and that's incredible. 
But maybe you're in this room this morning, and you're a believer, and you're sitting here right now, or maybe you're a non-believer, and you're sitting in this room right now, and you're thinking, I don't think I will ever be able to get out of my despair. I, I just, I feel like I'm stumbling through. This morning, God wants to put you on a different path. He wants to put you on a path of hope. And so this morning, I just want to pray for you. And then we're going to take the offering in just a minute. So if you ushers want to come forward, but just, just as they're coming forward, I just want us to kind of stay in this moment together. That maybe you're in that place this morning where you feel like there's no hope. You feel like you're in despair. You feel just as Paul did. You feel hard pressed. You feel persecuted. You feel struck down. You feel perplexed. And Jesus is wanting to say to you this morning, let's refocus. Let's change your focus from the tragedy to the triumph. So God, I just want to lift up every person in this room this morning. I pray, Lord, that for those of us that are in this room that haven't really truly experienced major concerning tragedy and concerning grief, I pray, God, that we could just log these thoughts, log these, this message and log, log this passage away into our minds for the day, Lord, where we're going to need to recall this to choose hope, God, because that day will come for most of us in this room. But God, if there's someone in this room who, who just is in despair, who's in a place of despair and not able to feel like they can get out of their place of despair, they're stumbling in their sorrow. Jesus, I pray this morning that they would find freedom, Lord, that they would realize that there is an afterlife, there is an eternity that is coming for them. And God, that, that's what we want to focus on this morning. We don't want to think about the here and now. We don't care as much about protecting our routines or striving for our ideal here on earth. God, we want to think about 10,000 years from now. That's where our hope comes, Lord. And so God, I just pray for anyone in this room, Lord. And so guys, if there's anyone in this room this morning that's going through this, I just want to encourage you as we close this time out to find a pastor. We'll be down here near the front walking around and Maybe your connect leader, just someone. Find someone to talk to about this. Pastor Jeff even said that this morning, that we need to find people to talk to when we're in the midst of our grief. So God, we just thank you for this, this time we've had together. We thank you for this offering we're about to take. I just pray, God, that we would use it to build your kingdom. God, that we wouldn't calculate the smallest amount that we can give you, Lord, but God, that we would focus on being generous givers, Lord, because you've given us so generously. And so, Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.